Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Did you know I've had my podcast for 15 years? Do you know that it is the most downloaded sports podcast of all time? Did you know I have guests from the sports world, from the culture world, people who work for The Ringer, people outside The Ringer, celebrities, experts, you name it. It's on my podcast three times a week, late Sunday night, late Tuesday night, late Thursday night, the Bill Simmons podcast. Check it out on Spotify. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer SC. I'm Nusa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Fine, man. Quite weak. How about you? I am quite weak from incredible midweek of Champions League football. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, why did that make me so happy? I'm just hyped about this. I know football. why you're so happy. I'm hyped. It's because football is almost as messy as how you like it at the moment. Do you know what? Actually, I was thinking about this in the way, I was, was going to get my morning, this is, I'm embarrassed at how excited I got when I realised this. I was going to get my like morning pages around the corner. Shout out to Malik at the local bakery, by the way. This guy speaks seven languages and picked up Greek in six months. Oh my God. I know, goodness. I know, I know, I know. So I was having morning coffee and I was like, I had a chaotic morning because he was like, oh, your name's Musa. He was like, mashallah. I'm like, I'm not Muslim, but he got hyped. He goes, oh my God, it's a great name. So he got all hyped. So I had a very exciting morning. A happy, it is a great name. Uh, Have I ever told you it's a great name? I had a happy, chaotic morning. And then as I was walking back, I was like, oh my goodness, you cannot spell champions without chaos. I suddenly realised and I was like, that is completely fitting. <laughs> that is completely fitting. Because last night, honestly, since watching this game, Ryan, my brain, the PSG rail, my brain is absolutely scrambled. I don't think I've seen a comparable Save game. Save it. No, 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 I'm just, I'm just saying. Save it. I'm saving it. All I'm saying is, that's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling like I'm actually feeling weak at what I saw between PSG and Real. We are the champions of chaos. We are, we are absolutely the chaos league. Yeah, absolutely. The chaos league. <laughs> that, is a, uh, that, is, well, that is great merch. That is great Stadio merch. Stadio Chaos League. Yeah, the chaos league. Okay, if anyone takes that. We'll know. <laughs> we will know. We will know. All right, let's do some admin quick. First of all, we hope everyone is staying safe, staying well. Anyone affected by what's going on oh God, yeah. at the moment, we hope you're okay. And there is a pandemic going on, so we hope everyone is staying safe and well and getting vaccinated if you can. Obviously getting that booster if you can. Yes. Right, his house went up on Wednesday. Flo and Mayoa were on this week. Um, super good. Go and check it out. F1 is back next week. Drive to Survive is back on Friday. I will be on another Ringer pod talking about it maybe next week, but we'll, I'll let you know on Monday. And also there'll be a piece going up about it, Drive to Survive and the new F1 season next week. There'll be some other football stuff as well from Musa and I next week. So check theringer.com and theringer.com forward slash soccer for all of that. If you do listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, Please do so. It would be very kind. And the Stadio Archer's playlist on Spotify. All the tunes we play out on each episode, newest ones at the top. I think that's all the admin. Oh, in fact, no. Next week will be the March edition of the Stadio newsletter. If you want to sign up for that, stadio.football, scroll to the bottom, pop your email address in, and you'll get our newsletter. So today, we're going to talk about the Champions League. We're going to focus on Real Madrid PSG because I feel like that was the definitive tie from this week. We'll touch on the other games very quickly. 
And then we will talk about the news that broke this morning of the UK government sanctioning Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich, all his assets, which include Chelsea Football Club. Oh, goodness. All right, so let's get into it after this. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. All right, man. Let's go to the Bernabeu. Oh, my goodness. Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> how much time do you have? Do you know what? This is funny, actually. This game, in its own way, there's a bracket of astonishing games we've seen in Champions League football, right? And the number one game in terms of most astonishing will always be, I think, the, the three-all Champions League final. Somewhere in the top five, there will also be the Manchester United by Munich. But in relation to the knockout games, if we're not talking finals, but knockout games, this, I think, enters the top five for me. Top five most astonishing knockout games I've seen, not including the final. That is a big shout, you know. Right, because the shift, you bear in mind what this game meant for the PSG project, not just the on-field action, but in terms of the arc of PSG, the desperation, the money they're throwing at Kylian Mbappe to stay there because they're very well aware that he is the electromagnet that's holding holding together. They bring in Sergio Ramos to fix defensive problems. He's not even really featured, right? This was the arc. And the, the alleged reaction of Al-Khalifi afterwards, uh, extremely frustrated, Portim and Marca, like very angry with decisions that weren't given, the, the reports that are coming out of Spain. This is why it was astonishing because in terms of this game, like Leo Messi looking more motivated than he's ever really looked, looking more in sync, Neymar looking as in sync as he was under his best spells, um, under Tuchel in his best spell for him, uh, PSG, like every PSG player who was a big name, apart from Marquinhos, of which more later turned up. Everyone turned up and everything was going according to plan. And some of the passages of play from PSG made me fully believe in the course of this game, they're an absolute contender for this. It depends on the matchups they get, but PSG can absolutely do it this year with a little bit of luck. And then it imploded. So you're saying with a little bit of luck, they could make it through the night. And they couldn't make they it, didn't. They couldn't make it through the night. And this is why I found it so astonishing because if you look at all the things that have been put, if you look at the investment in this game, in this specific game, this is why it was mind-blowing because Modric actually he wasn't playing badly. Cruz, the balance wasn't good, but the rejuvenation of Modric in real time until like Donnarumma made that mistake. He was kind of playing it safe, Modric, and he was getting outnumbered in midfield. He wasn't playing bad. He was playing well, actually. Cruz was playing bad, I thought, but Modric was getting outnumbered and all of a sudden, and also the, the substitutions of Ancelotti. But the moment Donnarumma made that mistake, Madrid smelled it and it transformed. 
the fallout from that first leg when everyone was just going on and on and on about how bad Real Madrid were, they basically stayed in the tie. Yeah. 1-0 wasn't a dreadful result. It wasn't. Like Ancelotti, I think what he did really, really well, they just hung in the tie. Like even 1-0 at half time, yes, there was a little bit of luck with the two offside goals from Mbappe. But we've seen, I feel like we've seen this in every single Champions League knockout game for the last three or four years. There's, but there's like a, a mini collection of amazing Mbappe goals that never stood. Do you remember that? I wrote about it last year when it was just like, there's this weird thing about when you score an unbelievably seismic goal, mm. but then it gets wiped out for VAR. There's an alternate future. It's kind of, you saw it, but it's not actually ever and that, on and, and that goal created a whole different future that might have, yeah. Yeah, oh. exactly. But Ancelotti knows that this PSG side is vastly superior in terms of quality mm. on its day to Real Madrid. Actually, Real Madrid started really well. They were putting PSG under quite a bit of pressure. And when they did apply that pressure, PSG couldn't really cope with it. And I think they faded towards the second half, uh, the second part of the first half. Mm. And in the second half, I think they started to look a little bit tired. But then the substitutions that Ancelotti made, it gave Real Madrid this little bit of a second wind. And as soon as, like that Domino Roma mistake came from Real Madrid starting to apply pressure on that PSG backline again, which is what they were doing in the first part of the first half. I then I I think actually you're generous to Ancelotti. Marquinhos had the worst game by far I've ever seen from him. By far. And that wasn't inflicted by Ancelotti. I saw it in the first half. There's a pass that he plays out of trouble, which he normally makes nine times out of 10. And he misplaces a pass. I think about 20 minutes in and I'm like, ah, he wasn't doing that before. And then he plays a back heel in his own box. And I'm like, oh, he's not in sync. He's not in sync. I don't know what's going mm-hmm. on. How many times, if someone said to you, a back four of Mendes, um, Kimpembe, Marquinhos and Hakimi and the defensive weak link could be Marquinhos. You would never believe it. You would never believe it. The out ball that was meant to be the trouble one is Kimpembe playing out to Nuno Mendes, but those two are actually fairly solid with, with one exception. Kimpembe, one, one sort of bad mistake, I would say. But fundamentally, Marquinhos from the opening 20 minutes never looked in control. Mm. And I was like, this is, you know what I mean? And that was, and so I think that what Ancelotti did very, very well, didn't get me wrong. He exploited it. I think he smelled it. And this is the funny thing. All of them at the same time, it was fascinating watching Madrid, specifically Ancelotti on the bench, Modric and Benzema smelling it. This is what I mean. Cause we've talked about Real Madrid's muscle memory. Yes, yes. Yeah, that, that's, it was, it was that. That's a fair shot. Yeah. I think Ancelotti, I'm not saying that he completely outcoached Pochettino or anything like that. Yes. No. As soon as they got one, PSG started to wobble. Yeah. You know, you have one of the elite, most elite number nines in the world, mm. Karim Benzema, who overtook De Stefano in Real Madrid all-time goal-scoring records. Which is frankly an astonishing, can I say that's an astonishing Unbelievable. achievement. Yeah, yeah. You have Modric, who everyone is waiting to suffer this huge dip in, in, in ability at 36 years old. And he's playing like he was 20, he's 27. David Alaba, who picked up on a free, yeah. who is really starting to find his gear at Real Madrid now. You have a spine. Yes. You know, and you have Thibaut Courtois, who gets a lot of pelters, but he is an elite goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a spine there of really, really good players who have won a lot of trophies throughout their career and are still performing at a really, really high level. I think Ancelotti just backed his players a little bit. You know, for example, like so many managers would not have picked Carvajal at right back. Actually, can I say this? What I loved about Carvajal was the subplot of like, I cannot remember a right back who twice got withdrawn early because the man opposite him was so good. Mm-hmm. And I also cannot remember a right back who took a yellow card so graciously. The look on his face and he was booked. It was like someone getting a parking ticket in Westminster. You're like, 
it's okay, Gov, I'll pay it. Like it was just, it was such an honest, such an honest foul. But even that, the team effort, you know, the, the fact that he had a ready-made right-back replacement in Vasquez, who's been brilliant at right-back when he fills in, it was almost like he anticipated that would be a problem he'd have to deal with. Well, this is what I mean. Yeah. So basically you look at the first two substitutions, yeah. 10 minutes after halftime, 12 minutes after halftime, Rodrigo on for Asensio, who I thought was okay, but not great. I thought he was lucky to start Asensio, I have to say. I did actually, I thought yeah. he was very lucky to start. Camavinga on for Tony Kroos, who, as we said, didn't have his best game. That was the key four minutes, sub. That was four the key. minutes later, they get one back. Camavinga was mind-blowing. He was brilliant. And then yeah. five minutes after that, the Carvajal change happens because... Where did PSG look like they were really going to hurt Real Madrid? Even in this game, they did those. The two offside goals came from similar things. Yeah. Mbappe down the left hand side, targeting Carvajal, bringing on Vasquez for twenty five minutes. I loved that sub. That's a direct acknowledgement for being like, if we're going to get back into this game now, we need to eliminate that threat. Yeah, and Vasquez is so good in this role. He's so energetic, yeah. and for twenty five minutes, he gives you such such help dealing with Mbappe. And Mbappe didn't really do much for the final 25 minutes? Oh, I want to talk about something there. Um, yes, I think that I agree with that. What I want to say about this, I want to give credit in terms of performances. There's two things I really, were really uh, striking in this game. The patience of Vinicius and the patience of Neymar. The first half was defined by the patience in possession. Neymar basically, one, two touch Neymar is the best Neymar, right? And Poch got that out of him, which I think was his credit. In the second half, you almost saw the playmaking function. What Vinicius did in the second half, was what Neymar was doing in the first. And I feel like the supply line for Mbappe got cut off, if that makes sense. Like, so the way that Mbappe was operating, all you could really do to stop him wasn't really the one-on-one situations because he was transcendent. But I think cutting off his supply line, if you look at the kind of fun, the variety, this is the reason why this game was so strange and turned on that goal. And you saw Donnarumma looked so haunted, like long after the mistake, he was just, you saw the look on his face going like, that's mm. on me. because. Five, 10 minutes before they scored, everything was in sync. Mbappe yep. was getting supply and the yep. keep ball they played. There's a moment in the middle of the pitch where Messi pops over someone's shoulder, gets it back, flips it. It was like when Italy came to um, Wembley in 97 against England and beat them 1-0. And they're playing like triangles in the air and stuff. And so for me, Mbappe's supply got cut off really cleverly. And this is why this game was astonishing to me because honestly, the tonal shift, if you'd said to me at 67 minutes, oh, by the way, PSG gang, I would have laughed. Because in the first half, this was the best incarnation of the Poch PSG I, I thought I had seen in terms of, there's a, there's a bit when they're on the edge of the box and Messi and Verratti are on the edge of the, uh, PSG, uh, the uh, Madrid box. Because there's a weird moment, you're right, like Madrid start really, really well and PSG are counter-punching and Messi almost starts it with that bit where he runs out from defence, he tackles it, runs out yeah. from defence and he plays Mbappe and from that moment from a moment they activate Mbappe and behind Carvajal, it's then like you see it shift and all of a sudden it becomes a possession-based game and PSG are playing possession football. And there's one moment when Messi gets the ball near to the box. The briefest touch off to Verratti about, I think he's in the, the final third, Madrid's final third. And I was just like, whoa, like this is actually working. The one thing that wasn't happening the first half was Hakimi was kept out of it because they were all going through Mbappe. But apart from that, everything looked like it was kind of working. And at the half, I thought, wow, this PSG is finally there. I mean, Marquinhos looked a bit ropey in some areas, but fundamentally I was like, whoa, I actually think, I actually think this is working. And the implosion, I mean, like we talked about Camavinga and his, you know, brilliant cameo coming in and like driving the ball forward into gaps. I think the problem is with, with Cruz. 
Cruz is obviously more of a passive player in that sense. He's not driving forward. And Valverde gave, Valverde didn't give me as much thrust as I was hoping. But what I want to talk about here, which I haven't mentioned yet, is this is the Kayla Navas derby. <laughs> and actually, there's a karmic thing going on here because this, club, this tie featured the two clubs that had absolutely no reason on a footballing sense to sell Kayla Navas. There was no real reason. Or disrespect him or bench him. Now, this is the funny thing about it. When, when Courtois gets taken in by that Mbappe trademark move, which is cut back across the keeper. We've seen it do it to Neuer, did against, I think, Sebasic in the World Cup final. He cuts it back across that finish. I was thinking, mm. I was imagining Kayla Kalanava somewhere with a drink of any description, just thinking, I'd have clocked that. And then when I saw Donnarumma's mistake, I thought to myself, see, this is a mistake that Kayla Navas probably doesn't make. Like, yeah, there was a lot of that on the timeline. And that, there's a moment, I, I just couldn't help but think that the most important keeper and arguably the best shot stopper of all three is nowhere involved in the tie. Um, but yeah, one thing I want to mention about Benzema, because we've got to get to him as well. There was, in terms of history repeating itself, do you remember that, like, that striker? Um, of course you do. Butra uh, Grenio, right? Yeah. yeah. And the nickname was like the Vulture. And I was like, this is the most Butra Grenio-like performance I've seen from Benzema in terms of like just being an absolute vulture and like pouncing. Isn't that, that's the funny thing about Real, isn't it? There's this thing about them where they're like, this sounds like quite a sort of, they're very sort of vampiric, right? They're very, very vampiric. Like you give them any element, like there's blood in the water and they're just on you. And Benzema, don't get me wrong, he had actually had quite a strong first half, I thought, aerially as well. He was quite strong. He didn't get the other A couple of headings he could have done better with, I thought. But his presence was yeah. good, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's no question this man activated. And I'm not saying that he wasn't trying the entire game. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that maybe he had kind of, maybe at some level he thought they weren't going to get back into it because they weren't getting the ball, were they, PS? I mean, they, like, the Bernabeu was actually jeering. This is how bad it got. They, yeah, were, yeah, they yeah. were whistling their own players. They were clearly not favourites. In my predictions, I had PSG to win this tie. You, incidentally, had Real Madrid. I mean... So uh, you clearly know ball and I don't. Uh, how am I taking any credit for this game when I'm calling it an astonishing outcome? This is what I kind of mean by the Ancelotti thing. Say, for example, it's like a number eight tennis seed playing the world number one and the favourite for the tournament and just staying in the rallies and waiting for them to do unforced errors. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching a basketball podcast about this, a basketball podcast about how a certain team got beaten. I think it was Draymond Green talking about it. And he was talking about uh, how the Warriors would beat certain teams and how one team would always go out like way points ahead of them mm. and they'd claw them back. Mm. And he goes, yeah, if you remember that series, they were up like this much and we clawed them back. And I think knowing Ancelotti, let's not forget this also is a man who clawed back that 2014 Champions League final, yeah. right? against Atleti and they got that very equalised what the 92-48 they always talk about mm. the Ramos header Ramos of course out of the picture this time and just so many subplots in this game that you know Ancelotti is someone that has been a game manager before right he's been yeah. in charge of teams who've experienced comebacks against them he's seen things out he's understood the ties the currents of football but the thing about this tie I think I keep going back to is just that this was the PSG project. Like we, we cannot forget this. Like, yeah, the game of football itself is remarkable, but in terms of the PSG project, right? So much was riding on this. This is, the, this is the year of the Qatar World Cup. The way the photo album was meant to go was the owners of PSG celebrating yep. the Champions League trophy and then going on to Qatar 
and to be able to, to be, being able to parade the Champions League trophy in Qatar. That was the plan. That's why they spent 220 million on, on Neymar and all that on mm. Mbappe and all that money in uh, Messi's wages. This was the match. God knows how much this match cost Qatar and cost, you know, the club, not only in euros, but in, in reputation. Yeah, this isn't what it, how it was supposed to go. Um, I mean, Mbappe, I think, will leave. Because how I think, that, how I th- I think you, if, if you're Mbappe, you look around at what you've done this season. He had that late goal against Rennes in injury time, which won the game 1-0 for PSG. And then four days later, did the same thing against Real Madrid. He gave them the lead here. With a great goal and the dummy for the the offside one, but that was, was that was so that, good. that was the closest I've ever. I I really resist comparisons with Arnai and Ronaldo. I really yeah, it resist, was. It was that though. was pure. Yeah, and to be it honest, was. I've I've never seen him finish like that, Ryan. No, I mean I've never seen Mbappe finish to not take a touch and dummy the keeper. That is, I've never seen him finish like that before. Yeah, he was amazing, and I think that if you're the only the only problem for. Real Madrid is like where does Vinicius go the other flank yes the other flank just let him work there yeah he can he, he's good enough to work this is the thing so I think if you're if you're Mbappe you look at the the it was obviously a collapse from PSG I think it was absolutely catastrophic I know that Real are top of La Liga yes but that is also an ailing La Liga with teams in transition and Real the only team that's really showed up this year if we're being honest consistently Real and the Champions League frankly, should have been done. They should have been put to bed. Like they, yeah, PSG, they should have been, PSG yeah. should have scored. It should have been, if it was 2-0, it would have been a canter. And frankly, they were playing keep ball like this thing was done. This thing was over. Watching this thing, I'm like, spiritually, physically, Madrid looked done. They looked done. Like, Modric was playing well, but the rest of them were kind of playing containment football. They really were. Like, the way that Poch had them working was so well calibrated. I wouldn't, it wasn't even a thing. I was like, this is done. This felt done. And this is the reason why the implosion is so incredible. Like the, the final goal comes from Marquinhos slashing the ball wildly across his own goal. When have we seen him do that? Mm. And he, he, he backheeled the ball to an opposition player in the first half and slashes it straight to Benzema for the third. They score 12 seconds after the restart. That is, uh, this is unbelievable. And actually, is, do you know what? Is, I thought is, that, this is what I, I mean. thought that final Benzema goal was the finish. And this is what I mean, Ryan. That this finish is, is actually so difficult. It's incredible. Yeah. But this is what I mean about this, the astonishing thing. It's the psychological implosion. It's so rare that you see that in real time in an elite Champions League game. It just doesn't happen. Like or with PSG. Do, 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 you know what I mean? Does, does that make sense what I'm saying? That's why it blew my mind because I'm like, oh my goodness, like the tonal shift, the emotional shift from a team that looks fully in control like even that moment when Messi gets going through in the half one and Modric puts in the tackle and Messi is trying to pretend it doesn't bother him, but it kill, it's killing him that Modric has still got him mm. after th- the age of 36 and the halfway line. But the old school duel where Messi is winning that. Yeah, that was quite funny seeing those two kind of like tackle right. each other. But, then, but, but this the is my point. It completely, it fell apart. The, the last 20 minutes of the game bore almost no resemblance. But this is the thing about PSG. Like PSG, we've seen it a million times before, not just in... Europe, like we've seen it domestically as well. They could have been playing against Sporting, all respect to, to Sporting, yeah, and been two 0 ahead in the tie, and Sporting could have got one back. And if that had happened, I would have been like, PSG are in trouble. See, that's the funny thing. See, right, and that's I think that's why I'm astonished because I, honestly, I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't see that at all. I felt like every problem they had, they'd kind of solved. Even with Marquinhos having a shocker, 
the way that Nuno Mendes, you know, he lost a couple of balls like high up the pitch, but he wasn't losing the ball really in dangerous areas. Paredes was great. Verratti looked great. Like it just, it was hanging together really well. And Messi just looked in sync. Everything just looked in place. And I thought this it's is- really, It's really yeah. funny that, when, that for the last half hour of the game though, I thought that was where Messi really dropped off the last 25 minutes. He was kind of like, he, did, he stopped doing the defensive work that he was doing in the opening half an hour. Right. And it was just a bit like, I remember watching him, I think it was about 10 minutes ago. And I was just like, you only need a goal to take this to extra time. And everyone kind of, it look, kind of looked like they'd just been like, oh, this has happened again. All right, fuck it, whatever. It's, it broke. It's psychologically, that's what I mean. The 12 second goal, I can't get my head around that. Like for me, I'm like, something happens in this team because it's the only match that matters for them. You know, they're, they're aging and they need this. And the thing about Mbappe is they need him for the project. What's that yeah, movie? I think he's gone. Like, I mean, let's, should, we, should we do a couple of questions? Because we've got some questions regarding this. Yeah, sure, sure. We need to watch what we're, we're doing time-wise. We're going long, yeah. All right, so uh, Alki says, the obvious where the PSG go from here, assuming Mbappe is gone on a free, what's missing for this club since this trend has happened for four different coaches now with failure in Europe? I wouldn't say Tuchel failed in Europe. I think losing to Bayern in the final of the Champions League is not a failure. Especially that Bayern. Yeah, exactly. Um, Matthew Day said, without Mbappe, do PSG completely flounder or can they plan a more coherent attacking style instead of just relying on this blistering, on his blistering counterattacks? And Snap said, potch in or potch out and it's not his fault either way. So basically, what's next for PSG? Because I think Mbappe will leave. That's huge for them. Imagine if back in 2010, they'd just been like, we're in one of the most fertile footballing geographical locations in the world. Let's buy the odd star here and there and just commit to like really building the next decade of the academy, the infrastructure, and just putting these guys in. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah, but the funny thing about it is like, we saw it, like the defensive stuff was what everyone was talking about with PSG. They're like, if anything's ever going to happen, it will be the defence. And everyone said this, everyone, you know, it was... It's like going out. We've said this. I've, maybe I've, I may have mentioned this before. But it's a bit, I looked and I just thought to myself, it's like, it's like you look outside and there's like torrential rain and you go outside wearing a bow tie and you're butt naked. It's like you, you bought a bow tie before you bought an umbrella. Yeah, yeah, like PSG are constantly going out in fresh white kicks. They const- constantly, constantly. And, you know, what times they go next? The loss of Mbappe, it just changes. It reconfigures everything. You don't have the out ball. You don't have... The, the counter-attacker that finishes, you don't have the player that Neymar was at, you know, effectively Mbappe here is what Neymar was at Barca in 2015. You don't have that player anymore. And that reconfigures everything because all of a sudden you've got an aging squad that rapidly drops down the table of Champions League contenders. It rapidly drops down. In terms of the rebuild, that's another few years. And this is why there's frustration PSG because they knew that it was this year or it'll take them five years to get back here. The thing about Mbappe is, is a player like him comes on once every 10 years, maybe 20, mm-hmm. actually. That specific configuration of ta- um, co- uh, um, combination of attributes once every 10, 15 years. And so to lose him when Messi is basically like fully in decline at this point, when Neymar is fully in decline at this point, where next I, th- I think Potts should go, to be honest. I think he coached this team. He'll get a lot of criticism and people like say whatever they say, but I think that he coached this team that I saw the other day to pretty much, with, with given who was in the squad defensively, I think he actually got the best possible PSG out of this collection of players in that first half against Madrid. And for the first hour against Madrid, I think he got the best. I think, I still think the Donnarumma, I, I, I know Donnarumma made a great save in the first half, 
but I still have always preferred Navas as a keeper. I've he's always very young. He's not. He's yeah. You know, no, he's, I know. But I think he's, he's, even for a, if for a goalkeeper, he's super young. But he's still a young player. He's uh, exactly. I'm not even knocking him. I'm just saying that, like, if you're being risk averse, if you're, if you're being risk averse, you're rare. You don't sell Navas for a start. But anyway, that's another. That's another point. But um, yeah, I, I think Pot should leave. Uh, I think that PSG will struggle to get back to this level of prominence the moment they lose Mbappe, because Messi, what two more seasons in him? Neymar, a couple more, and then who have they got? And they've got to do the hard work of reinvesting. Three defeats in their last four games in all comps for PSG against Nantes, against Nice and against Real Madrid. We went long on that, but like we had to talk about, there was a, <laughs> we I mean, wrong. we didn't really answer like, I think PSG need to become serious. You know, it's like we've said before, we've talked about Manchester City. We talked about the, ma- the amount of money that Manchester United have spent. You can have all, all the money in the world and not make it work because you have to have a plan. Yes. And there just doesn't really feel like there's been a long-term strategy. Like we know the whole city situation and with what's going on with Abramovich at the moment, I feel a bit odd just talking about like state rebuilds, state-owned football clubs and how they need a plan. Yes. But this 2022 was the year, like you said, Mm. and they've missed out again on their ultimate goal. I don't know, man. I feel, I can feel, I can feel a lot shifted in football this year. I think PSG might be another example of that. I completely agree. So let's quickly talk about Liverpool against Inter. Inter winning the game 1-0, losing the tie 2-1. Uh, to be honest, I thought this scoreline flattered Inter a little bit. I thought they were a good side. Well, Inter are a good side. If Sanchez doesn't get sent off straight after they get that goal back, you can imagine them potentially scraping another one and sending it to extra time. But I mean, Liverpool hit the post, what, three times? Mm. And should have, yeah, the most out of scored. Yeah, 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 they should have put it outside. They had clear opportunities, but Inter are gritty, man. They really showed up for this tie. They did themselves some yeah, reflections. Yeah, I first think they leg, did. First leg, they were really, they were really impressive in, in uh, several yeah. patches. So. Well, we said how good that result was at San Siro on that podcast afterwards for Liverpool because yeah. they were not great for a good hour or yeah. so of that game. But yeah, I think at the moment for Liverpool, it's just like getting them, getting them through. That was a good defeat for Liverpool. They allowed them to go through. Yeah. And then Klopp can now go into the dressing room and be like, you see what happens when you lose intensity? You mm. see what happens when you back off? Because if you look at the goal, Van Dijk gives a ball to, um, to Matip and Matip advances and takes two bad touches. Mm. He takes two bad touches and then he plays the ball into the feet of an interplayer. There's like then three quick transitions. And then for the goal, the crucial goal by Lautaro, Van Dijk stands off him. He doesn't crash him to close it down. And that's interesting. He doesn't, you know, Van Dijk, we know his recovery speed, his speed to the ball, but he doesn't make, he doesn't commit to it. Maybe he thinks he can't let fly from there and he punches him and, and Klopp can now go and see like, you see this passenger play right here? Mm. This is what happens when you switch off. Um, so I think it's only the third defeat of the season, Liverpool. But if you had to choose one to lose, it's that. Last 16 against Inter, home defeat, bit embarrassing. And then you can be like, okay, you see, now if we're serious about the league with our goal difference as it is, if we're serious, this cannot happen again. Mm. So yeah, good defeat for Liverpool in the sense of like helping the development, I think. A good defeat. Yeah. Um, Bayern absolutely hammered our uh, Red Bull Salzburg on they're just calling them. Is it just Salzburg they're calling them now? Is it that they have to call them Salzburg? Is that the thing? Well, in the Champions League they do because That's I don't it. think Red Bull is an official partner. Yeah. But they are Red Bull Salzburg. They imploded, didn't they? There was a, there was a centre-back, Verba. There's a moment when he does this thing. Oh, gosh. So he makes two mistakes, I think, for the penalties. 
Yeah. And then after the second one goes in, he's comforting one of his centre backs, going, "Yeah, come on." He's urging him forward, and like his teammate is like, "Dude, you did this to you anymore. I'm not listening to you anymore." Some very you don't speak. You don't speak. <laughs> but it's sad because Salzburg started really well. Yeah, they had a couple of chances where they should have probably scored, and this was the same in the 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 first leg. They had a couple more opportunities. They had that one to make it two 0 before. Bayern got a goal back in the first leg. Really frustrating, actually. The, uh, yeah, this was the, yeah. the classic thing of that thing you always say about having a missed opportunity and then getting hammered. It was right there as well. They they were creating right, some LeBron. <laughs> it was right. <laughs> it was right there. It was right there. <laughs> but yeah, seven one. Bayern absolutely cruised through. Um, eleven minute hat trick of, for eleven minute hat trick for Lewandowski. Two penalties. Um, and the other game. Was Man City sporting nil nil on the second leg? A goal ruled out for Gabriel Jesus. Nice to see uh, Comrade Egan Riley starting at right back. Nineteen. City didn't really have to do anything. It was essentially like a, a training session. Oh, and Scott Carson came on. Yeah, made a very nice save. Um, one quick question from Mari Lewis. Mari said, "How has the away goals rule affected this round?" I'll say so far because we've obviously still got four more games to play. Is it too early to tell? Are teams still playing as if away goals aren't a thing? Maybe PSG last night forgot that away goals don't aren't a thing anymore. Maybe that, maybe that. Yeah, because the urgency, they could, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, I think, uh, hmm. I think it's going to take a little bit of time to figure out. And that's why I was just a little bit like, meh about all of those away goals, hot takes after the PSG Real Madrid first leg, because it also meant it's, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a weird one because yeah, if you don't score away, it, it, it removes the, if you're playing away in the first leg, it removes the incentive to push for an away goal mm. for sure. But it also means that if you do lose one nil, it essentially allows the PSG Real Madrid tie to play out exactly as it played out mm. because PSG scoring, like if away goals had been a thing, PSG scoring that goal, in theory, would have felt more seismic. Yeah. Because Real Madrid would have needed three, but in the end, it wouldn't have mattered. But I don't know. I think it's going to take a little bit of time to figure out. I think so. It just feels too early, right? And that's yeah. sorry for the cop out, Mary. Um, but yeah. Very quickly, uh, Leon beat Porto 1 0 in Porto in the Europa League, first leg round of 16. And Eintracht beat Betis 2-1. Uh, they had a missed penalty as well in that game. 2-1 first leg of those ties. And also, Real Madrid Femenino beat Atleti 2-0 at Atleti in the Women's Primera. They have two games in hand on Atleti now, and they're just four points behind in that race for a final Champions League spot. Uh, worth noting that Tenerife have also got a game in hand on Atleti, and they're only two points behind. So that race for the top three in the Primera is it's decent man obviously Barcelona way out in front 22 points clear alright uh, should we take a quick break let's do it this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube cars can be a big investment so it's important to take care of them I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it you know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. 
When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich has been sanctioned by the UK government. Let's see the extent of it. So this is the thing. Um, Martin Ziegler. Uh, at the Times. So massive news, he says. Roman Bambridge sanctioned. All UK assets frozen. Chelsea can still operate under a special license, but sale now on hold. Club will not be allowed to sell any more tickets. Only season ticket holders can go to games for the foreseeable future. Also, no merchandise sales allowed. No player transfers or new contracts. Catering services will be permitted. Goodness, well, at least they can get club food. Salaries can still be paid. Reasonable costs of travel to and from fixtures are allowed, not exceeding the value of £20,000 per game per club team. So effectively, people have to pay out of their own pockets to travel, which, you know, they can afford. But fundamentally, it's how interesting. tricky. But it's worth noting that the special licence, I think, extends to the May 31st, and it allows the club to undertake activities that would usually be not allowed in normal cases of financial sanctions. So basically it can still it can still play games under the restrictions that you've said about travel. They can't sell any tickets for home games. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle that with away fans then. There are more details coming out, out about this all the time. And I imagine that we'll have more developments before Monday's show. The club shop will be closed. Let me find Tarek Pranja's thread on this as well because there was a, he wrote a good thread. Tarek Panja, outstanding investigative journalist at the New York Times. Um, uh, if you haven't read the actual document, by the way, go and read it because it is really, really interesting. As Tarek points out, like he said, bear, bear with the small type. The detail about the relationship between Abramovich and Alashir Usmanov is fascinating. Had no idea they were that close. Same, actually. It basically details the specifications on where Abramovich has been sanctioned or why Abramovich has been sanctioned. And the wording is extremely severe. For example, the UK Statement of Reasons say that Abramovich is a prominent businessman and pro-Kremlin oligarch. Abramovich is associated with a person who is or has been involved in destabilizing Ukraine and undermining and threatening the territorial integrity, sovereignty and independence of Ukraine. This association has included, has included obtaining a financial benefit or other material benefit 
from Putin and the government of Russia. This includes tax breaks received by companies linked to Abramovich buying and selling shares from and to the state at preferential treatment and concessions from Putin and the government of Russia. Abramovich has been involved in destabilizing Ukraine and undermining and threatening the territorial integrity, sovereignty and independence of Ukraine via Evraz PLC, a steel manufacturing and mining company in which Abramovich has a significant shareholding and over which Abramovich exercises effective control. Evraz PLC is or has been involved in providing financial services or making available funds, economic resources, goods or technology that could contribute to destabilizing Ukraine or undermining or threatening the territorial integrity, sovereignty or independence of Ukraine, which includes potentially supplying steel to the Russian military, which may have been used in the production of tanks. Do you know what's wild about this that leaps out? Roman Ramrovich pledges one and a half billion in charity to Ukraine, while at the same time allegedly providing metal for the manufacture of Russian tanks to destabilize the state of Ukraine. The I have cynicism. To clarify that I read that directly from the release document from the British government. So absolutely. So those that is what the British government is alleging. The cynicism of that pledge, which was celebrated by so many across social media, despite not a single dollar or euro have been given. Despite it also being not clear whether he meant solely for Ukrainians or not. Absolutely. And just seeing the cynicism of that, like, you know, and I have to mention this because this pledge was covered far and wide. It was carried for, oh my goodness, what a generous human being. I just thought to myself, hang on a minute, like. No, no, no. This right. is the consequence of his own actions. And he's absolutely. This is place. absolutely the consequence of his own actions. And, um, you know, this, so many things this throws up because I want to say one thing, first of all. For this government, the British government, to act this decisively with these sanctions, this severe, this specific, for this government to act, it's exceptionally serious. This is a government that has been passive, apathetic, pathetic, complicit for years, for years in behaviour of this nature, of this nature, of this description. And for it to act to this degree now, you know, I, I sent a tweet earlier about, turns out you can't keep politics out of football. Here's the thing. Politics barged into football a very, very, very long time ago. It barged into football's living room and it put its feet up on the sofa and it demanded everyone bend the knee to it. And now someone else has barged in and they're like, you know what? If you're going to be in here, you have to face the consequences of being in here. And get your this feet is what my this, table. This is what this is about. Get your feet off my table. Get your feet off my sofa. Take like, your shoes off at the door. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is all what this is about. And look, credit to the individuals who fought very, very hard to bring a measure of accountability um, in this situation. And and I think as well, credit to the Chelsea fans who, for twenty years, have looked at a situation like this and been like, "This is my club too." Absolutely, I love the football we're playing on the pitch. You know, I may even enjoy a lot of the things that have been brought to Chelsea as a result of the investment, but I retain my focus on the aspects of the club that give me disquiet and displeasure. Credit to those Chelsea fans now who didn't turn away from the anxieties they felt and the ambivalence they may have felt at certain points of this ownership. Credit to them. And that's the model, I think. And we've talked before on this podcast about you can enjoy what team does on the pitch, but at the same time, don't turn away from the unpleasant aspects. And this is a victory for those people, I think, who kept that scrutiny. I think this is the end of the beginning as opposed to the beginning of the end. 
I think with football's unraveling of its moral responsibilities, or let's say football's great realization of that actually its actions collectively or individually within the sport have consequences. I think this is just the beginning. Mm. And to be honest, I hope it's just the beginning because I think, for example, many more people are going into this this year's World Cup highlighting issues that many people decided not to bother with going into the 2018 World Cup. FIFA are no longer seemingly invincible in their decision making. Fans are holding their clubs to account. If you think of the amount of times fans have held their clubs to account over the last year, specifically Mm -hmm. or so, you know, I think the tide is turning into an overall more positive position than it has been, but it still has a lot long way to go. And I think if football is going to genuinely change, because there is a lot to change, it has to be a decade long process and acknowledge that it's going to take a lot of work to get there. It's not going to be a click your fingers. Oh, let's do a World Cup every two years and then everything's fixed kind of solution. Can I throw this in as well? The fact that they've seized these assets, I wonder what impact this will have for, for example, and this is why politically it's um, interesting and a matter of concern now. What this does for like housing and property in the UK, property seizures, like government seizures and resale on the open market with no money, these oligarchs and what precedent is this sending, right? What precedent is this now sending? Because, you know, this isn't the only country where state-backed football clubs have had too much sway. This also now is a challenge for, I think, Newcastle United because their project, they haven't let Newcastle Newcastle's ownership, and we've, we've spoken with great sympathy about the complexities of this ownership, but I think there's also, I wonder if this now makes, how do I say this? Given how brazen Amanda Savely, one of the Newcastle owners was, in her defence of Roman Abravich, given how brazen she was just a few days ago saying, I don't believe he should be sanctioned, just being Abravich's friend, and now the government coming out and saying, this is no ordinary friendship, this casts Newcastle's ownership in an extremely bad light. And actually, I think it removes some of the complexities about the ownership and some of the ambivalence. Mm, because we absolutely, we absolutely know that Mike Ashey did a job that dishonoured Newcastle and demeaned a great club, a great city, a great institution. We, we know all of that. And we, I don't believe, I think that Newcastle deserve better than their current owners and the level of scrutiny they're going to attract now as a result of this. Yep. Because it's open season. It should be open season on owners who acquire clubs Without the, own, without the club's welfare as their primary concern. It absolutely should be because the clubs are foreign by the people. Uh, a few more details on this, uh, specifically from Tarek's thread. He's, he wrote a really good summary. As we mentioned, clubs cannot sell any new tickets to upcoming games. Chelsea cannot sell any merchandise and the sale of the club is now on ice. Potential for away tickets to be sold directly from opposing clubs. The government wary of damaging a culturally in- important institution, which they consider Chelsea to be. So club can keep playing, keep paying wages and season ticket holders can still attend games. The club can receive broadcast fees and merit payments, but those must then be frozen. Like Tarek says, that feels very significant too. Mm. As for broadcast payments, they will be put into a special account and that money will be used to pay players and other costs the club has. Stress is no money goes near owner. They've got a number of players out of contract in the summer. As it stands, I don't believe they'll be able to purchase any new players. I think it's hard to call where it will go because a lot of this will depend on whether the government decides to extend past that. I think it's May 31st, Mm. whether the government decides to change their stance on it beforehand. 
it's this is going to be another thing like we mentioned last week that's going to roll and roll and roll so yeah yeah absolutely never a quiet day absolutely never um should we get out of here i think we should do it yeah okay we're Um, out like psg oh my goodness all right we hope everyone's staying safe and well yeah and um yeah don't forget to check righty's house if you haven't already check the ringer.com and the ringer.com forward slash soccer Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're going to play on something a little bit more. A little bit jolly. Should I or should I not? By Sue Ann Carwell. Anything you'd like to add, Moosehawk Wonga? Nothing further. Nothing further. All right, everyone. Much love. Have a lovely weekend if you can. And we'll be back on Monday. See you then.